Today, I get to sit down and talk to incredibly talented underwater photographer, Andy Schmidt. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Hazel. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Your work is honestly breathtaking, but for people who maybe aren't familiar with who you are, could you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So my name is Andy. I'm from Switzerland, um, which is not the typical country you would expect someone to be an underwater photographer uh, to come from. But there I am. Um, I am an underwater phot photographer, like I said, um, but also an, an ocean photographer. So I just I don't just shoot what's below the surface. Um, I also try to capture what's above or like kind of when it breaks through the surface, this kind of uh, moments. And um, I'm kind of like focusing on a whole variety of marine life. So wherever my travels take me, um, I always try to capture what is special to the specific destination. So pretty much anywhere you go you will find something unique to a place and that's what i try to capture so it can be anything from the smallest marine creatures like pygmy seahorses um all the way up to the the biggest animals that have ever lived on the planet um like our whales and and the other cetaceans um yeah and so for the last few years i've kind of moved away from being a, a pure scuba diving photographer, which is how I started out and um, have developed more like a, a, a variety of, of kinds of shootings. I do also with a lot of uh, surface activity and snorkeling and free diving, which is um, the tool to, to go to when you capture faster uh, animals, bigger animals, uh, open ocean animals, like especially like whales. And over the past five years, I've kind of, one of my specialties, I would say, I've focused on is, um, is the orca and humpback migration in Norway, uh, which I've been uh, lucky enough to, to uh, document for five years in a row. And yeah. uh, so I kind of just got back from from that trip yeah so you know you mentioned obviously you grew up in Switzerland you know it's not the place you would expect to find an underwater photographer perhaps a skier or a mountaineer uh, <laughs> but not ocean photography so what first inspired you to have a passion for marine life so it's funny that you mentioned skiing so um, I grew up in Switzerland being a mountain boy so I was a first, like in my first years, I was a, a very fond skier and later a, a snowboarder. So I started snowboarding when I was 10 or 11. And it was my ultimate passion, actually. So I did not have any real connection to the ocean until my mid 20s. Mm -hmm. So when like my youth and, and uh, my younger years in as an adult, I was really like, a passionate mountain guy and and just snowboarding whenever I could um and the whole underwater thing I mean I had like a fascination for for things that live in the ocean uh earlier on like 
I remember just always enjoying documentaries on, on TV and just in general nature documentaries, but of course also everything around the ocean. Um, but then the whole passion for, for marine life and photography started when I was 25, actually. So I did a trip with, with, a, with my ex to Mexico and I wasn't used to doing trips like this. So I never went to the ocean or to the beach or something like that. And so we came to this place and there was literally not much to do than just lay around on the beach and I got mm -hmm. bored right away. And so um, I saw this beach hut that was kind of a super simple dive center um, mm -hmm. where we were staying. And so I talked to the owner and then jumped right in and did a, the certification to become a diver. You did and, it straight away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I never had like I, I've never really been to the ocean. I, I had been to the ocean before. I started with that dive course maybe twice in my life. My goodness, how how were you swimming? Like obviously you learned well, to swim I mean, in Switzerland, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I was a good swimmer. Mm. Uh, it was part part of our sports. Yeah. At school and stuff like competitions, like in school, not like competition. Mm in on a on a athletic level but anyway i mean i had to i had to be able to swim so that wasn't the problem and uh i was fascinated right away and so i went through a whole kind of a typical dive career i wouldn't call it a career but like the the, the development of of mm -hmm. the diving uh, education so i went through different courses all the way to uh, like a professional level um as a as a dive guide i never worked as a guide like as a proper dive guide in a in a location but i guide tours and stuff like this but i usually there's there's guides around but that's that's what i did before so actually i first became kind of a professional diver mm -hmm. and until then i never had the idea of really capturing something in the ocean i didn't have a camera um this was also the time before like smartphones and so you would have had to buy a camera and understand how it works and all of this which i didn't do and at some point i thought why not give it a try capture what you see and show at least friends and family because they yeah would be crazy always traveling around and diving and they don't understand what you do and what you see and so to to show them and that's how i i started so i got a camera after some like eight to ten years of diving only so I didn't start with a camera in my hand so right you away. didn't start it as I want to have a career as an underwater photographer you just started it as I want to share what I'm seeing under these waves with the people that yeah. I love yeah exactly and and when I when I did that when I got my first camera which was a like not a high end, it was a point and shoot camera, a Canon point and shoot camera. I just didn't know what I was doing. And the photos I remember, they were just crap. They weren't any good. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and that's things that nowadays when I see people, like a lot of people start, they bring a, a GoPro, at least a GoPro or, or another camera right away when they start mm. diving. Um, and like I tried to give, make them understand like the real basics like you mm -hmm. see so many people under on on dives with whatever camera it is 
just swimming behind uh, animals and just taking photos from from their tails basically yeah. you know them the fish swimming away which which are pretty much never good photos so <laughs> and i remember like how i did how i did that i i mean yeah. I, I did like i took terrible photos in in the beginning how did you hone your skills like how did you learn what makes a good photo underwater and what doesn't i mean i was already then like always consumed a lot of magazines and and things like that it wasn't there wasn't too much like of online portals at mm. that time where you could which you could use as uh, as resources nowadays there's like a, a a bunch of of really good um online platforms with tutorials and interviews and everything from from renowned photographers so it's pretty easy nowadays to access um resources and and learn from from what others have failed at and mm. learned how it works and stuff like this when i started it was more like a, a learning by doing and seeing like pictures from the professionals and trying to understand how it was done and then trying like trial and error to to approach these results and this is not just uh, is not just techniques; it's also gear. So mm -hmm. I started with just the camera in my hand, and then by the time, like with the time, I developed also or understood that you needed more than just the camera. Like add artificial lights, like strobes or or video lights and um, uh, special lenses and things like that. So I my gear grew over the time when I started understanding how it works and uh, and and I figured out yeah. how, to, how to use these things. If you don't mind me asking around what you said you started diving at 25 around yeah. what age did you really decide to pursue underwater photography as a career? Well th that's funny that you mentioned this career I mean you've kind of mentioned it before so uh, I might seem like a this is my my living. I'm doing this for a living, but I'm actually not. So um, I can't I can't make a living out of this. But I, I I don't class a career as what you make money of. Yeah. Like I I'm definitely a person that, and I know a lot of my listeners are as well. It's we turn what we're passionate in or or our quote unquote hobbies into making money for us. And I think if you're passionate at it and you have any sort of income from it, it counts as a career that you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I sell some photos. I have photos published in magazines. I have um, photos winning awards and things like that. So yeah, I mean. Yeah. Just very casually. Yeah. I have, I have photos yeah. winning awards and I'm published. It. Like, <laughs> like, be proud of this. This is, this is really incredible. Your photos are incredible. You know, yeah, like I, I've had authors on the podcast who, you know, are very, what I would count as a very successful author who also has secondary income because it's just, if you're a creative in general, it's always a very unstable and unpredictable field that you're in. You never really know when the next job is going to come or when the money's coming in. So mm -hmm. just because you're not having a stable income from it doesn't mean it's not a career. And it, you're yeah, yeah. definitely very talented at it. So don't sell <laughs> yourself short. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, I would, I would, uh, I'm actually at an, an, an interesting point. I mean, this is probably something you will cut out, but um, <laughs> so so uh, 
what the reason why I wanted not to have to set a new date in the new year is I'm actually starting a full-time job in January. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, because I've, for the past five years, I've been focusing on the photography, but also working as a freelancer. Yeah. And um, yeah, just uh, last year was really quiet with the freelance jobs and all that. And mm -hmm. so it, it kind of pushed me into thinking what to do. And because I'm 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 based here in Cologne, um, so I live in Germany. Yeah. Oh, you're um, only two hours away from me. Yeah, it's I know. Yeah, Amsterdam is really close. Mm -hmm. Or the south of you said the south of. Yeah, uh, I'm in the south. Yeah, but it's still only about two hours. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's even closer than Amsterdam. Amsterdam is like three hours, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I would have to, if I would like go all in for the photography, I would have to move somewhere, you know, where you're constantly yeah. at the ocean and I would have to walk away from, from what I have, what I call my home and yeah. I'm not willing to do that. So I went the other way now and uh, and so kind of um, will do less of, of, of what I, what I'm so passionate about, but still, whenever I get time, I will, I will do it and, and still yeah. keep traveling when I can. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, you should be very proud of that as well. Um, you spoke about your sorry, gear. Sorry, sorry, back to your question quickly. Maybe I can, or then you cut it off <laughs> or whatever, because you asked how, how I, you asked how old how you I, were. You asked me how old I were. I was when you when you decided to pursue it like oh. properly. Yeah, well, you know, um, so I used to run a, an, a digital advertising company, um, and I managed to sell it, um, and had had like to work for the company, stay with the company for three years. But when I was done, I quit, mm -hmm. and. So kind of went on this trip around the world. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't that far then that I would have decided I'm going all in with the photography. Mm -hmm. But I did a, a crazy trip around the world um, because like I had sold that company and that gave me the financial means to just literally go diving all the best places in the world, which I did. Like I went back to back to Cocos Island in Costa Rica, then to the Galapagos. Wow. Um, I've been all around the coast of South Africa. In This, this is all in the same trip. Uh, Papua New Guinea, French Polynesia, Tonga, Fiji, um, Hawaii. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty uh, Mozambique pretty pretty insane trip and so i did like eight months just diving the best places in the world and i did i photographed so much on this trip i and i got quite good at it while doing it so much yeah and it's only when i came back that i was thinking what what next you know like mm -hmm. i had so company will i go back into some doing something similar or what will i do and that's when i actually upgraded my my setup to a professional setup and that was in uh, late 2017 when when i did that yeah and out of all of those places that you visited on that trip where was your favorite yeah the galapagos oh, really why yeah 
the Galapagos is just a very unique place. You have a diversity in marine life, which I haven't seen anywhere like this in the world. Because like you will have in the Pacific sim kind of similar destinations with uh, the area in Mexico, the Revilla Gigedo Islands, that's um, mostly known as Socorro, mm -hmm. um, where you have a, a lot of similar animals or the, like kind of the same species. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, in Cocos Island in Costa Rica, but Galapagos has just a lot on top of that, which only they have. Um, and and it's so exposed, like in the middle of of the ocean, yeah. with the current going by, that you get a lot of mag like migrating animals going through there, mm. which you don't normally see, or just pure coincidence in the other places. Um, and like for example, the Galapagos, you will you will have these uh, marine iguanas, which you can only find there, or they have penguins, and they have a lot of sea lions. You know, these are all species you 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 won't find in one place condensed like yeah. this. The, the amounts of sharks, the hammerhead sharks, the the big pregnant female whale sharks, um, the Galapagos sharks, obviously, and, and many, many other species, dolphins everywhere. And, and even they have orcas coming through mm -hmm. every now and then, other species of whales and, and cetaceans. So it's it's just an unbelievable variety of... of um, of creatures to see the mola mola this um sunfish yeah sunfish yeah. yeah incredible and it's so funny to me because you know you spoke a bit earlier about the challenges of shooting animals underwater but also the unpredictability of the underwater environment with currents and swells and waves and visibility what is it like as a photographer when you know that you want to shoot something and you're going in for a dive how do you try to set it up so that you have the best of all of it are there any tricks <laughs> mm, yeah i mean you can you know if it depends on what you're trying to to capture so with animals a lot of a lot of um photos are kind of really just done when the opportunity is there yeah so you need to you need to be lucky to have the encounter and then while you have the encounter you need to kind of think before you actually get into shooting think what you would actually want to to do like where do you position yourself when you see an animal moving towards you or if it's something that's not moving you still you can think like where is the light coming from the natural light where is the mm -hmm. sun what is the background looking like and so on kind of uh, think, have the picture in your head before you actually try to to capture it, like position yeah. yourself in a good place. Um, but then also you will always face uh, conditions that are just bad for photography. Mm -hmm. You cannot always expect to to come out to come out of the ocean with good photos. Sometimes the visibility is just too bad um when the when the visibility is bad you normally have a lot of particles in the water so if you use external light sources strobes they will illuminate these so the the photos are full of these little uh, it's called backscatter so these yeah. little particles there are are illuminated by the by the strobes and and they'll make the the picture just uh, very messy sometimes 
-hmm. So it's a lot of factors. So it's like photography um, underwater is often cannot be successful in just one go. So if you have a specific species or kind of image, it can even be a reef or something, you might have to go to, to try again. To try several times to to succeed at what you what you wanted to get, um, so best is when you have time, or or then just go multiple times. Yeah, and you also spoke about how you photograph underwater while you're scuba diving, but also more recently when you're free diving. What are some yeah. of the differences, and do you prefer one over the other? Um, it's it's very different. Because when you have a when you have a tank on your back, and depending on what you what you shoot, let's say you you shoot macro like small life, sometimes you have all the time you need, all the time you can like, let's say you have a sandy bottom seafloor, and you can literally lay in the sand and frame your subject and take as many shots as you want. So you have usually while diving with a tank on your back, you have time. Of course, you get encounters where everything happens super fast and you need to act fast. But I would say that that's the main difference between the diving, the scuba diving and the the surface uh, photography, which when I do that is usually around um, whales and and dolphins and that kind of uh, animals, which is just incredibly, everything is incredibly fast. Um, So there is, it's just about being ready um and working with what you get uh so a lot of hectic involved adrenaline involved um excitement thrill kind of situations yeah so you spoke about how you've done a lot of work photographing killer whales recently what was Mm -hmm. it like the first time you were in the water and you saw killer whales um yeah very very nervous I, w- I was really nervous. That was in Norway also, like it mm-hmm. was uh, five years ago. Um, I didn't really know what in terms of their behavior and, and what the encounters would look like and all of this, what to expect. And uh, I mean, you, you just you just know you're you're traveling to a place to to try to swim with and photograph uh the ultimate apex predator of the ocean so yeah i think it's pretty normal for pretty most people that have done this that at the like for the very first one or two times you get in the water you're kind of nervous and you just hope that you will not get harmed or something Mm -hmm. um which is just a natural reaction i would say well i mean you're getting in with a very large animal yeah. You know, regardless of what large animal it is, you know, if you're in their proximity, yeah, you yeah. never know what's going to happen because they can always be unpredictable because you don't know the individuals. Yeah. Um. When you are doing the surface photography for, let's say, killer whales, what mm. are some of the rules that you have to follow in order to not disturb them while you're photograph while you're doing the photography? Well, the the main thing I would say 
um you know when so in in norway we have different different um situations where we can get in the water with them and one of the situations is is when they when they're feeding so when they round up the herring bring it up from the deep into a bait bowl and then feed around the the bait bowl which is the the carousel mm -hmm. feeding um there they they're really not bothered at all they they don't care if you're just right next to them you know when they, if there's a, a stunned herring just floating next to you it's usually the the big males that just swim around the baseball and just pick up the the herring that are just floating around mm -hmm. you will sometimes have a, a big male just come up right next to you like it couldn't care less and just get that herring and then go on to the next one um so there you don't really have the like things to to look out for or or you know like regulations where you where you need to be careful not to disturb them what you what you have to look out for is that you don't swim like in the middle of the bait bowl for example mm -hmm. um there you might either be a bit of a problem because you're in their way that's mm -hmm. the one situation and the other situation is um usually when when there's bait bowl people feeding happening you will have humpback whales that are coming in and uh, and will just jump in and and get their piece of the baseball i mm -hmm. mean sometimes just the whole baseball and when you're on top of a baseball you might end up in a humpback whale's mouth which probably wouldn't be too much fun so that's i don't think so <laughs> i think that's something that's, to avoid <laughs> yeah that's definitely something to to avoid I've been quite close uh, to that this year, though. Um, not not willingly. I didn't swim on top of the baseball. I was like on the side of it, and uh, and the hump humpback came in just a bit like different than it normally would. Normally, they come pretty much straight up from from the deep, kind of all the way uh, like in a straight swim all the way mm -hmm. to the surface through the surface, and that one just came kind of very angled and uh nearly nearly bumped me uh, when i was on the side of the baseball ow so close it's call. not yeah really close call mm -hmm. there's a video of it on my on my instagram feed for those who want to see it um i'm pretty sure everyone's gonna head over there now to, yeah, to see that there's, <laughs> there's the there's the humpback whale um you see the humpback whale coming with its white packs um kind of spread out and mm. you see a, a fin and then you you can swipe and see the video of mm -hmm. of the of the action um but so that's the the baseball situation but when we have um orcas that are traveling or just like socializing and things like that it's always we always have to be careful what we do and how we approach them and make sure we understand their behavior let's say you have a, a pod that is traveling from one place to another and you follow them with boat and they keep diving and staying down for a long time or turn and things like that. These are signs of, of avoidance. And yeah. if this is happening, then you, you have to leave them alone. Yeah. Not just not get in the water, but also stay, keep your distance with the boat and, and, and leave them in peace and, and don't go and, and put pressure on them, um, which they definitely don't like. And yeah and I'm re I really appreciate you saying that actually because yeah. I think um 
you know, obviously there's a lot of people that would love to go to Norway because I know there are certain companies that run snorkel tours with tourists. For me personally, I'm not a big fan of that <laughs> because I think it can become very unregulated. And I think if you have a lot of people in the water who don't understand animal behavior and who don't have a great understanding of the natural history of orcas in particular, you could be asking for trouble. Um, and I know that a lot of your photography is very focused on sharing the message of conservation and ecology mm -hmm. and showcasing their lives in the wild. So yeah. what are you hoping to tell people about the lives of wild orcas in Norway that you saw? I mean, it's it's for me, it's pretty much like the, the key message is the same with anything that lives in the ocean. But for me, it's it's just uh, it's become an absolute passion and and like an addiction to to see them and 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 observe them and 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 photograph them. Um, but like the key the key messages in in just underwater photography, the way I do, is just pretty much showing the beauty of what we have, of what there is in the ocean, and uh, by showing that, also like trying to make people understand that everybody can help to make their lives easier by small choices, you know, mm -hmm. like everyday choices, a lot of um, thoughts into need to be put in any consumption, like you need to think about, do you really need to buy this? Do you need, really need to buy that? Is, is there a lot of plastic involved, like polluting the oceans, for example? Mm -hmm don't buy that, buy something else or buy nothing. Do you really need to go there, travel somewhere or can you just have fun somewhere else, you know, like closer to you and things like that, like everyday choices, reducing pollution um, for the oceans and then uh, also like overfishing side of, of, um, of what's a big problem for animals in the ocean. Like if you take their food sources away, they will either have to move to other food sources if they find, or they will, in a worst case, yeah. not find food and starve to death, with, which is a, a big issue for orcas, obviously. Like um, not so much the ones in Norway at the moment, um, because the, the regulations for for herring fisheries and, and other food sources they the orcas have in these waters are are working well so they have their food but in other areas around the world where they like their food sources got destroyed like the on the west coast yeah um, yeah the, the southern the southern residents uh yeah. Rails, yeah with the, the yeah, tuna salmon um to end on a slightly more positive note what's what was your favorite moment in the water with a killer rail or the favorite behavior that you've seen and potentially captured on film um until this season i would have said you know when you have um so we call them swim buys when you when you have the orcas traveling and you feel like they they're acting curious following the boat and and you have a chance to get in the water with them and then you get like slightly ahead of them get slowly in the water maybe just stay and wait or swim a little but be quiet and then they will just swim by you and when you do that you have some uh, some pods especially with with younger orcas in there um, juveniles or even calves 
that tend to be super curious and you can have situations where they really stop and like circle around you and look at you and swim away and come back and do it again like multiple times a uh, really really amazing experience um to have um like i said until until this season i would have said that's my favorite but um we had a we had a big baseball situation this this season that was just otherworldly i would say it was just mind blowing it was going on for hours wow. and they were they were it was um, a pod of 30 to 40 orcas and they were constantly bringing up new herring like like if you they would have been instructed by me or like <laughs> other people in the water when it got super messy around the baseball because they they chew up all these herring and and it gets oily and full of fish scales and stuff yeah. and at some point it's just messy and you can't get any good footage anymore and then they just let that herring baseball sink and moved over somewhere else and just brought up new herring just really really amazing and it wow. went on and on and on and uh like it, like because in norway you have short days that time yeah. of the year um it was starting to get dark at some point and we had to call it and and drive back because we still had an hour of of uh, sailing back to the harbor and um they were still going when we left Amazing. I've still gone gone on for for hours after we left. It was just um, really really incredible to see super close encounters, a bait ball right at the surface for for hours, and um, just amazing to see. Incredible. Well, if anyone wants to check out any of your work, they can find all of the links to your website and your social media in the description box. But Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us and share all of your work. Thank you very much for having me, Hazel. That was fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.